Welcome to The Waystation, an interview podcast featuring trailblazers who set their own career paths. My name is Noah Reed, and today my guest is Colin DeVrew. Colin is an entrepreneur and co-founder of Plain, makers of Barley CMS and now Barley for WordPress. We talk about Colin's career and creating technology that solves problems. Let's get going. So, hey, Colin, how you doing? I'm well. Thanks for having me, Noah. No problem. So, um... Why don't you Why don't you tell tell us who you are and what you do? Well, my name is Colin Devru, and uh, I'm a co-founder of Plane, and we uh, we are a technology company that is in rural Pennsylvania. We have seven people now, and uh, we started about a year ago. And um, we uh, we're working on a product called Barley, which is uh, an inline editor that allows people. If you've seen uh, something like Medium. Uh, that allows you to kind of write right in place and see what it is that you're getting when you're writing on the web. We're working on Barley that uh, lets uh, people do that on any website and on any platform. Uh, right now we have a, we have our own CMS and a WordPress plugin, but we're bringing Barley to uh, many other platforms in the near future. So we hope that Barley kind of becomes a standard way of doing some of the things that Medium does and even more. All right. So um, it, now, as as a co-founder, um, did you did you bring a certain uh, skill set that to complement your other co- your other co-founders um, to to what you do? Um, I will say yes, but they would say no way that I have no <laughs> skills whatsoever. Um, no, uh, uh, you know, we it's it's interesting the way that this company kind of got founded. Um, uh, we all had jobs. Some of us were freelancers. Um, I was at uh, Vidler, which is a uh, a sort of a YouTube for business, and I had been there for about six years at that point. Um, and you know, after about six years, if you're a person that likes to deal with startups and and you're getting to you know the thirty and forty and fifty people area, and um, it, it starts to it starts to get uninteresting to you. Um, and and if that happens, uh, really, in my opinion, you're starting to do your your employer a disservice by staying there. And I, I was you know, uh, on the board and, um, I was, uh, you know, part of an owner of the company because of it being a startup. Um, but when, when you start to get disinterested in things, um, really maybe you don't put all your effort into them as much as you should or whatever. And I'm the kind of person that really can't, can't do that. Mm. Um, I, so, so I was talking to a few of my friends, um, Chris and Kyle and another Kyle and Jeff and, a few others. And we sort of just said, what, what would we do if we weren't doing what we were doing? Hmm. Um, what would we work on? And so to be honest with you, we actually started moonlighting, um, by getting a base camp account, which is like a project management tool. Mm -hmm. And we sort of just riffed on ideas about what we would do. That's all we had that base camp account for. So we came up with, uh, iOS apps that would use Fitbit data to create a game. Huh. We came up with um, several other ideas, like Craigslist that let you sell high-end items like yachts and, and expensive houses and things. Hmm. And after we got cracking on some of these, we all said, let's run this like Valve. And if if you've ever run the uh, – or read rather the uh, Valve Handbook, which is a game designer out of the I, – you're probably very familiar because they're out, out there where you used to live. But yeah. um, uh, they – you know, they kind of had this structure where, where if somebody had a good idea, um, and you brought it up, uh, and everybody else liked it, 
then you could start working on it. And that's how we came up with what we're doing now with Barley was that we started, we sort of just started cracking on an idea. Two people jumped on the project out of the four or five that were involved. Um, we quit our jobs and started working on it. And then eventually a third one quit their job. And then we had a fourth one and a fifth one and sixth one. So, um, it was really a cool way to to see how this put together. And as far as the skill set that I bring to it, it's really just that desire to build something new, something great. I'm willing to do pretty much anything um, uh, as far as business or marketing or programming. It doesn't matter what it is. Uh, and so, so that's kind of how we got started. That's great. That's great. Well, um, let's uh, we'll get back to barley in a, in, in a few minutes. Sure. But um, mm-hmm. what? When you were growing up, when did this kind of interest in technology and computers um, and entrepreneurship start for you? I like to think it was my mom's fault. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> she uh, she she's a nurse, and she's been a, a nurse for you know her entire career, and mm-hmm. um, so that's not really you know technology heavy as far as the kind of services that she was providing. But she always was kind of on the forefront of that kind of stuff. Like she would. She's the first – we were the first people that I knew, at least in our neighborhood in, in Pennsylvania, that, that didn't have a house phone, um, that uh, paid their bills online. My parents bought a house in Florida and set up all their services through the internet You know, years before a lot of people were doing that. And, hmm. um, and that was all my mom really. Um, and so you know, at an early age, I kind of started to, to see that um, it was a tool to be utilized in that way. And so – at about the age of fourteen or so, which is nineteen ninety four, if I'm okay. dating my if I'm dating myself, um, <laughs> is you know when is when I first got my own computer. Okay. Um, before that, I had Commodore sixty fours and stuff, and I I messed with games and and different things. But and obviously we had Macs at school, and we learned how to do different things there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, school type curriculums don't really drive a passion for building tools. And no, they don't. Uh, yeah. So when it came down to it, is when when I got my own computer. And I met a guy that was running a website um, and I saw that he was able to publish content on the web for the first time. When I first saw that, mm-hmm. um, it, it, that was it. Um, I didn't need to know how to do anything else. My interest in computers as far as hardware and and all of that really just went right away and I went right to software mm-hmm. um, and mostly software that interacts some way with the web. And so – that was about it. I was smitten from then. Um, I started working on my own Star Wars fan page on Prodigy. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. And I remember, you know, the very first time I ever tried to get an image to show up on the web. And, uh, you know, for anybody that's out there that's a web developer mm-hmm. or has ever even tried something like this, the concept of the internet being different than what is locally hosted on your computer is always like a curve. And then the moment you understand that anything that anybody is accessing is available on this connected set of computers that are out there on the internet, and unless that information is there, they can't see it. Once that clicks, boom, everything else just falls into place. But I remember, I still remember to this day, you know, trying to get an X-Wing uh, animated GIF showing up on my website, and I could not do it, and could not do it, and could not do it. And then finally, I understood, and and. Uh, it was all downhill from there, I think. <laughs> all right. Let's start with the X-Wing. Yeah, well, I did. <laughs> so important question. Of the original trilogy, because we won't discuss the prequels, which is your favorite? What, is, what are prequels? Yeah, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh boy. Well, I mean, there's the obvious answer, right? Um, Empire. Of course. All right. Right yeah. answer. <laughs> yep. Uh, I, have you ever heard of the machete order? I have heard of this. I I get confused because I think there's like variations on the machete order. And... There there are, but if you just do a Google search, you'll find probably the top, one of the top you know yeah. three results is going to be. It. I, I I highly recommend it. Okay. Yeah, I think I think. Uh... You know, I have a four-year-old, and at some point, I'm going to have to indoctrinate her in Star Wars somehow. So, yeah. um, I'll have to I'll have to look into this soon. It's probably tough to know when, right? With a yeah. kid, <laughs> yeah. I know. Well, the 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 Clone Wars animated series is is actually pretty great and um, mm. fairly kid-friendly. So, yeah, yeah, you know, it's just it's 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 hard to judge when kids are ready to see anything that's even remotely scary. So, yeah. Yeah, well, good luck with that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. All right. So, well, did so you you kind of knew you wanted to get into the web? Was was this still kind of high school age? Um, yes, okay. definitely. Um, it, it's actually actually interesting because I was fourteen and I immediately went to go work at like a computer store that was in a small town near here, um, and they did things like you know somebody somebody. This is back you know in the probably right around the time where people were getting like 2,800 to 3,600 baud modems. Mm -hmm. Um, And so every single day people would be bringing their computers in with a modem that got hit by lightning or, um, (laughs) and and, I mean, this is reality, you know, like people, people having various bits of hardware broken in their computers. And so I spent probably two years um, doing just that. Uh, They, they also did a, um, they kind of, the ISP that was local, uh, was outsourcing all of their support to this lo- to this uh, little store, okay. and so I was doing support um, for both the hardware and the internet side of things. So teaching people how to uh, build their TCP/IP stack inside of Windows, you know, um, and that was good, I think, um, because what it really did was, you know, as a geek, sometimes it's really hard to understand what the everyday person deals with when it comes to technology. Um, today's technology is so much more approachable than when I started. And obviously 30 years prior to that, when, you know, guys like Steve Jobs started. So, um, to, to, to have a pretty good understanding for what people want rather than what geeks want is very important when it comes to building software. Um, especially if you want it to meet some sort of, you know, uh, critical mass of some sort. If you want, if you want everybody to use your software, and you don't understand what people, general people, are are thinking or mm-hmm. need, uh, then you'll never be able to do it. You'll never be able to design that kind of yeah. experience. So, so I think that was kind of important for me to start start in an area where I hated it, um, where I was getting phone calls, uh, people wondering why their mouse wouldn't move, or you know, all <laughs> these different crazy things. Uh-huh. But at the same time, I really, really do believe that um, it really set me up for. Uh, sort of understanding the user moving forward throughout my career. Yeah, I I, I myself have run into this uh, I'm more and more lately. Actually, my my mom we got her her first computer in the last two or three years, and um, you know that whole process just just the learning curve on even the more intuitive software that we have today has been has been tremendous. And then. Um, a few months ago, she went on. We went on a big trip together, and she she wanted to blog about it and mm. the whole process of like getting signed up and 
for a blogging service and, and a username and a password and, you know, mm-hmm. and how to log in, where to, where to write, where to, it's, you know. it's a mountain. It's yeah, a mountain. It is. It really is. And it's, you know, it's and and when we were on the trip, it was great. Cause I could, I could just log her in and say, just type there and, you know, hit mm-hmm. publish when you're done. But you know, when, when, if you if you have to do it on your own and you're not experiencing those things, it is tremendously difficult. And 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 the interesting thing about this is, we have come so far, but we have so far to go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I when I die, technology will still be hard to use. Um, it's 2013, <laughs> and we still have something around called iCloud that nobody knows how to use. And, <laughs> That's right. And, and it's and it's built by the best company in the business. Yeah. So so. On one hand, it's like, wow, we really make leaps and bounds if you look at what we used to use and, and how mm-hmm. it used to work and, and what devices people have. And it's in everybody's pocket and it's a couple touches away. Um, but yeah, you when you do sit down with someone for the first time and they start clicking on something, you realize how foreign yeah. the the digital paradigm is for people. Uh, usernames and passwords and settings and configurations and preferences and it, it's um it really is uh it's a mountain for people yeah yeah it totally is well so so you kind of were learning this stuff when you were working in the computer store did you end up going to to college or did you go right into working so uh okay so from 14 to 16 i was doing that and then um i went into homeschool okay uh, so around the 10th grade or so, uh, I started my 10th year in high school and then I decided to get out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took a full-time job immediately at that point to mm-hmm. be a, um, uh, you could really call me a CTO at that point, mm-hmm. uh, okay. at a, uh, a healthcare facility that had, um, about seven different branches. So I was managing a little over 400 computers at the time, uh, a humongous fiber optic network. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the age of 16, literally 16 and a half spending three to $400,000 developing a network. And it was amazing. Um, wow. and some of that, some of that was so where you're dealing with medical data and that was a very, a yeah. very good thing to learn, um, mm-hmm. about multiple redundancies and setting up tape backups that the nurses took home at night and, um, making sure that all the workstations were set up properly and, and learning how to do, you know, uh, software on a network and things like that, uh, latency and all these, all, you know, amazing things that at, the, at that age. And, um, but I was very bored. Um, mm-hmm. doing that was a, a, an awesome learning curve for a while. And I, and, uh, eventually though, um, I, I was still desiring the web and this was not the web. We did send some data, uh, to Binghamton to get transcribed. All the doctors had voice things that got transcribed and things got sent back and things like that. But at that point, I was still like very desirous of building something on the web and I wasn't really doing that. Um, although if anybody ever has the chance to use fiber optics, my goodness, it's still amazing stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's re- I mean, the internet is fast now, but uh, until you use some of that stuff, you're like, I, it's un- unbelievable. <laughs> but um, so, so it, there was a job – so this this is going from being at a computer store doing ISP support, making, you know, I don't even know at the time, uh, $15,000 a year or something, you know, like really mm-hmm. grinding really grinding it out to getting offered a job that was literally 20000 like double my salary mm-hmm. um, and then going from that to doubling my salary again within like six months to go work at a place that built e-commerce sites. Okay. Um, 
and and that, and I just I jumped at it, you know, uh, because I wanted to start doing stuff with the web. So yeah, no, I'm all self-taught. Never went to college. Hmm. Um, uh, just really learned as I went, and you know, it, people make fun of college, um, especially people that didn't go. Yeah. Um, and I think that the curriculums that are there is really inhibits people from learning on their feet. Um, but at the same time, there is some there is some real benefits about the structure of what yeah. people learn. Like to give an example for for those out there that are interested in programming or or anything, you know, there is a right and wrong way to do stuff. Um, mm-hmm. There are some really tried and true methods that were developed in the fifties and sixties and seventies um, by brilliant, brilliant people that are still rock solid today. Um, the way that we develop software today with these different scripting languages and you think you're cool if you know PHP or Ruby or something was nothing compared to what these guys were doing then, um, you know, albeit with, with, with far less horsepower than we have now. But at the same time, it was the same stuff. Yeah. And and um, so we're standing on top of shoulders of giants. And so I think that sometimes, you know, college could have really helped me personally um, catch up and stand on top of those shoulders a little bit better. Yeah. I think if people embrace that and kind of learn from their history, there's a guy called Brett Victor who did a um, – uh, it was kind of an interesting uh, presentation this year at Dropbox's conference a few months back. Um, if you look it up, um, just do a search for his name and anything that you find on him is amazingly, amazingly uh, interesting. He his goes by the uh, Twitter handle of um, uh, Worry Dream, I believe. But um, he did he did a presentation at Dropbox this year. Um, as if it was 1973, I think something, okay. something around that. So he literally stayed in character for the whole entire presentation as if it was 1973. And he was talking about new technologies that would, uh, would be happening or could be happening or should be happening. And, and some of the frontier of software. And it's almost, I mean, obviously it's very, very tongue in cheek the whole time mm-hmm. because, um, none of those things became a reality. And yet there's, <laughs> and yet there's some things that are becoming a reality today like um, uh, there's some Kickstarter programs for things like NoFlow and, and different things where you can uh, build an entire application using like grid charts and, and flow charts and things. And these these are things that were being worked on in the 60s and yet they went by the wayside for scripting languages. So yeah. I, I kind of wish that I got involved in that because I'm so interested in it now compared to compared to when I, when I was a kid. I just wanted to um, – I just wanted to build something. Yeah. And I think that sometimes gets in the way. People now have – have um, uh, their idols are are guys like Zuckerberg and and you know uh, uh, Jack Dorsey and 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 all these guys that that built tools that became massively popular and now went public and you know the guy that made Snapchat and all these different things and I think sometimes they get they get lost in the you know it's one out of a million people that are going to do something like that so I think yeah. sometimes we get lost in the ease of building a tool building a tool on top of Ruby or something. As opposed to really thoroughly understanding your craft of programming yeah. or designing or engineering or whatever it might be that you're interested in. So I, I still think there's value in it. There probably isn't any more money in going to college than there is in not. But there still is an immense amount of institutional value, I believe. Yeah, and well, I I have similar feelings about school. I mean, working on the web off um, for the majority of my work myself. I mean, I, I agree. The curriculum is teaching you about, um, you know, 
programming and and or or at least with web programming i, I was a, a i got a design degree and um it was pretty lacking but the the advantages that i thought for college almost had nothing to do with what they taught me about my career it was always it was all kind of having a broader knowledge base um because i think uh I, it, having the excuse where you have to go to a class and you have to learn about things that you may not think that you really need or you know it's amazing how those things actually come into your life later on and are actually fairly helpful mm-hmm. um but uh i mean as far as as far as uh the value of an education i, I mean I, I, I value of college. I, th- yeah. I, I think there is value there. It's just, um, but I, I also understand why some people just totally blow by it when they yeah. when they see the way that programming or technology is taught and the way curriculums are handled. So yeah, the, the dollars and cents of it may not make sense that much anymore, uh-huh. and that and that may be adjusted over time. Uh, but but really, there is still a lot of knowledge value out of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, one thing I was also curious is having worked as kind of an IT, uh, CTO of, um, in, in a, in a medical organization is, um, and you're talking about having to have a lot of redundancy there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just wondering what your opinion is on kind of the, the software, uh, the software world in the, the software in the medical world, because that's something that's actually mm-hmm. fairly interesting to me And it. Um, but I, I'm curious having actually worked in it directly, what your thoughts are. Uh, many, <laughs> Um, you know, I I don't, the tone of your question sounds like, you know, should I dog on it? And, and Mm -hmm. yeah, um, it's the, the problem is, is, you know, so that you have two, you have so many different speeds in technology Mm -hmm. and different markets move at different speeds. Yeah. Um, so the web moves amazingly fast. People jump from one thing to another, to another, um, in my own career, you know, I've seen humongous, humongous web services come and go. Yeah. Um, things like, you know, the, the dot-com boom in the 99. Like, realize I was only five years into the industry. I knew how to build things that were getting 30, 40, and $50 million, you know, advances to be built yeah. and going away a year later. Um then came along, you know, these large services like Friendster and MySpace and, and so forth, and they all came and went. Um, and now we have, you know, we have a couple that have some severe longevity, you know, GeoCities and blah, blah, blah. You can name a million of them. Um, now we have a couple that have seemed to have some longevity, like Bezos has figured out some longevity for sure. Yeah. Um, he, he obviously has figured that out. Um, uh, and, and Facebook seems like it's going to be around for a little bit. Um, but you know the the speed of the web is 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 amazing now if you if you contrast that with the medical world um you have these old crappy tools um partially due to budget constraints partially due to um those that are using them not understanding that there could be something better uh, or having the time to figure that out and then also that that decisions that be made can usually cost a lot of money Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're out there and you're thinking about getting into that field, there is a lot of money to be made in medical software. Um, however, it moves at a snail's pace. So if you're an incumbent, it will take you a long time. Yeah, that's kind of my opinion. Unless you strike it, you know, very very lucky. But um, we had tools that we paid so much money for that were just 
I mean, this was, you know, obviously built on not windowed systems at the time. Huh. Uh, we had all servers that were set up in, in different locations and everybody just had like a terminal that they were on. Uh, and so this is, you know, predating windows. Um, but, uh, you know, that kind of software was still, I mean, we were paying, you know, these are actual numbers. We probably paid $80,000 for our software, Mm -hmm. uh, at a time. Um, so, you know, there is, there is a lot of money there, but it's, it's so archaic and it moves really, really slow. Um, and I, I obviously have been removed from it for, for quite a while at this point, but, um, it, it still seems to be about that same kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, my, 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 my opinion is, uh, I mean, I, I've I kind of married into a family of a lot of healthcare workers, and you mm-hmm. know, you've got experience with that as well with your mom, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But um, the the I, I I just I just I just find it interesting that um, that we can't access our medical records online, oh. for example, or yeah. um, you know, it's it's. And I think I'm sure there are you know HIPAA, the privacy concerns, and and and, and other things as well. But I mean, if if I'm willing to do my banking online, is it really that scare, much scarier to put my medical records online? You, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, you know, what's interesting about that is that if you, if you rewind, you know, today it's 2013 or, mm. you know, it's almost 2014. But if you go back seven years, mm-hmm. um, there's no Facebook. Uh, or maybe it's eight years now. Something, I mean, it's, it's right around that area, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, People would never, ever, ever have a service that would tell people what they ate that day. (laughs) They'd be like, this is crazy. They would never have a service that would, on its own, tell people how they were feeling through the day. Um, uh, Especially personal things, maybe breakups, relationship statuses, Mm -hmm. all these different things. But if they do it themselves, they're willing to share it. So if they have a service that allows them to control what goes out and what does not, which, you know, a lot of times, you know, people that do not know how these social services work sometimes get scared and they say, if I get on Facebook, everybody's going to know what I'm doing. Well, only if you tell everybody what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that when when things like Mint.com came out or Simple mm-hmm. or Square or these different startups that have come out where you can share data or not – um, I think that the same thing may happen for medical records at some point. Hmm. Um, we haven't seen it yet, or at least not at a, at a wide scale that I've seen my, personally. But if, if you were to put your medical records in, in some way, um, or if you were to share them, I don't think that anybody would ever sign up for a doctor that would be like, hey, when you leave here, I'm going to tweet that you have a wart somewhere. <laughs> but if you were the one to do it, or you were the one to share that information in a, in a in, you know, and maybe in a friendly way. There is obviously some things medically that we would probably share. Uh, we all like to complain about how much medicine costs, mm-hmm. so people are already sharing some of that. Um, but I think there might be there might be something like that that comes out someday that maybe you're not sharing it like you do on Facebook, but you may have some kind of stream of your medical care mm-hmm. or something like that. And I think that's just that's just going to come at some point. But it's going to have to be somebody. You know, somebody choosing to release that information uh, in a way that is sort of like what people do on Facebook, because they're they're already doing that and so much more. I mean, it's so much more personal to say who you like or don't like, or who you uh, you know all these are, or who you've broken up with recently, or how you're feeling. That seems so much more personal than than 
perhaps your medical status, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, I think even less than that, I'm, I, I'm interested in, um, just being able to have like a, a one place where like when I move, I can have my medical record there and then just send it to a doctor or mm-hmm. I can access, you know, the results of my tests online instead of having to, you yeah. know, you know, just kind of almost like my bank account, right? My bank account isn't a social thing I share with people, but it's something I can manage through the web, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but I, I, I'm, uh, I'm just, I just, I heard that you worked in the medical field. I was just yeah. wondering what you thought about that. I think what, one more quick thought on that is is about um, really about how much of a joke it is too. Uh, there are standards that you have to follow to save that data. Yeah, and it's all a joke. Um, <laughs> th- if there was any hackers that wanted it, <laughs> <they're>, <laughs> generally speaking, unless you're a, a political leader somewhere or whatever, you know, I'm wanted person. Medical records is not something that anybody cares about. Yeah. Unless so, you're an insurance so, company maybe. Yeah. But, 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 you know, there's no hackers out there trying to get Noah Reed's information. Yeah. Uh, medical information. So, so when I was, you know, when we, we had encryption, um, obviously, like I said, we had multiple redundant backups, but all those things had to be encrypted as well. But mm-hmm. the encryption on that back then was nothing. I mean, you could, if somebody really, really, really wanted to get that stuff and the same thing as today, there are regulations you know, I worked at a brokerage after that, um, and at a brokerage we had to follow all the SEC, SEC rules, mm. um, and there was a lot of SEC rules. There was, you know, certain ways of filing information physically and electronically, and fingerprints every couple of months, and all kinds of different things. Mm. But in general, when you look back at it, you think, man, <laughs> you know, anybody at any time could have took a CD in there or something and just done whatever they wanted. And yeah. that's generally how these standards are. And for medical records, it's the same thing. So I, I don't think it'll be long before we start seeing some of that stuff. Well, that, that's, that's an optimistic take. That's great. <laughs> so, um, what, what, uh, so, okay. So we've talked about college and then, so after the, after the, the, the CTO for the medical company, you went into brokerage and then kind of, how did, how did you get into, was Vidler kind of your big thing that came after that or, or, or are we missing anything? Oh, we're missing so much. Um, <laughs> it's funny when when you're like I said, I Vidler was definitely the longest I've worked anywhere, uh-huh. um, and that was six years. And when you're a startup guy, you you jump around, um, yeah. and and that's good and bad. You know, some people would probably hate that. There's probably people listening to this that have um, had a job for ten years or fifteen years or twenty years, and I think that is unbelievably great. It's a privilege to have a job that long, especially if you do like it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, gone are the days though nowadays of, of, of companies being loyal to people for 30 years. Yeah. Uh, that is gone. Absolutely gone. But, um, you know, after, after I went to, uh, after I left the, the medical field and went into building websites, literally building e-commerce sites and things and, and just general small business websites and things, um, all hand coded and everything. This is prior to CMSs. This is, yeah. I'm, I'm still developing on top of ASP. Um, at that point, so um, very Microsoft-driven world at that point. I haven't even switched to Mac. Um, I ended up going to a um, uh, a brokerage that spe- specialized in um, medical securities. So we built a tool that allowed people to uh, actually investigate some of these uh, public companies that had medicines and pills and things in their clinical clinical trials. Okay. Um, and so that way, people would knew when they wanted to invest in in a medical security. 
that was a really interesting job. We had um, about 60 people in India at the time. Um, 30 of them were doctors and 30 of them were programmers. And uh, I was the head of all the programmers. Um, and the doctors were there just to put the information into the database. And we would sell access to uh, a, an entire securities trading platform. But it, the, 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 the key thing was that you were able to do this research. So you could tell when Pfizer was going to come out with something like Viagra and invest in them before it happened. Interesting. Um, yeah, it was really, really good. Uh, it was an unbelievable thing. But September 11th happened. We opened up on September 8th. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was bad. Um, and, you know, we had raised – I forget exactly how much money was raised for that company. It might be in the 12 to $15 million range. But we were spending a lot of money. We had 65 people, tons of brokers, tons of uh, customer service guys. Um, uh, and and we, we, we actually opened up pretty well. We actually, you know, had a pretty good sign up for the first week and a half or a week a half week, I should say. And then when September 11th happened, um, that was it. I mean, it was probably days later that they told everybody but me and a couple of guys to go home. Oh boy. Um, yep. And, uh, myself and one of the other technology guys literally shut the, shut the lights off, um, by, by staying there about three months and selling our entire infrastructure of which back then this is pre Rackspace cloud and pre Amazon web services mm-hmm. where you couldn't spin up, you know, 90 nodes for $2. Um, so we, we owned all of our own hardware and everything. And so we had to sell everything off. Um, uh, but then they, they took that tool and ended up selling it, I think for a very big, uh, a big win actually a few years later, I think for like 50 million bucks. I'm not, I'm not positive on that exact number, but it's going to, wow. it's, it's, they they sold um, they sold access to brokers to through like J P Morgan and things like that for like five thousand dollars a month just to get access to this data and stuff. It was it was actually a very good move. But um, from there, I went into the sports memorabilia arena. Really? So this is really interesting. So here's a, here's a cool story: is how I got that job was I had to leave there. I went into some freelance and I started to you know not make a lot of money in freelance at the time. And so I thought, man, how am I going to get another job? So uh, that I like. Uh, so I went to our local uh, Chamber of Commerce's website and only the people that had email addresses I figured out were technology companies at the time or had any kind of level of technology in them. So I literally uh, wrote a, a scraper that went in and scraped all the HTML from the Chamber of Commerce's website, got all the email addresses out of it and sent my resume to everybody on it. Um, <laughs> and and I literally put – and this is no, no word of lie. On, on my email I said – I'm looking to do something interesting. Only reply if you're doing anything interesting. And I got about six replies. Um, this is out of like maybe 600 email addresses or something like that. Um, and I got about six replies. And one of them was a sports memorabilia place that was selling all their stuff on eBay. And they wanted to build their own store. And okay. when I when I got there, they were doing maybe, maybe $5,000 a month in sales on eBay. There was three guys there. Um, they had an exclusive with Sammy Sosa. Um, hmm. uh, which means in that world, it means that, that you control the price of their signature. So we took him from like $19 a signature to $150 signature in two years. Um, and so there was some really cool things going on there. I'm like, man, this is a really interesting world. You know, I mean, yes, there's, it's not technology heavy. It's a TD commerce store, but, but to meet some of these athletes and to deal with these high end items and things, it was just completely night and day, anything that I had ever dealt with before. Yeah. And within six months we were doing, uh, about a million dollars a month um, uh, through the e-commerce store. And we hmm. ended up doing a, a huge show in Atlantic City and 
we made like $4 million in four days there. We hired Kiss to be a band that came and played. I mean, it was an unbelievable ride. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, the sad thing was that the owner had a Coke habit. Oh, I was not an owner at the time. And it, that, that business broke down very quickly. So you can see this little trend in my life where there's these great opportunities. And I know that I'm not alone in this. There's so many people out there that, that are addicted to doing startups and, and love mm-hmm. that world and, um, and that have similar stories where you try something, you think it's great. Everybody on the team thinks it's great. They pour millions of dollars into it and then it flops. I mean how many startups have we seen flop over the years? Yeah. Um, so my, my experience is nowhere near um, – you know, unique for sure. But so there's always been like these great things. Now, when Vidler came along, I was running a consultancy with myself and my friend Mike Stickle, who went to work for Apple and TaskRabbit and a couple others. But um, we were running a consultancy where we just allowed companies to, um, you know, kind of pitch mm-hmm. us on some ideas and we would kind of write up an entire spec for them. And Vidler was one of those. And they, they had this idea of, of creating a, uh, a video player, a web video player, which at the time was still very new. YouTube had not yet kind of got any kind of footing. Um, and the web video player would have comments on the bottom and tags on the bottom, kind of like VH1's pop-up video at the time. Oh, okay. So while you're watching a video, someone could leave a comment right at like 31 seconds and it would say something like, wow, that was awesome or whatever. Uh, and, and obviously there's some very fun uses of that. There's some very useful uses of that like chapters or uh, in a video or like a DVD kind of is uh, or, or, or a teacher commenting on a student's presentation or so many different things that we saw the future of. And so we took that spec and we, we, we developed it and designed a possible interface for that and how it would work and everything. And a year later they built it over the course of about a year. And when I saw that um, – and they were only 90 miles from our front door. I drove down. I met the founder. His name was Rob. And I told Rob, I said, I don't care if you pay me or not, but I'm coming to work here because uh, <laughs> I thought it was something really cool. And, and I was there for six years. Oh, wow. Well, so six years is probably uh, the, the, the longest you've ever worked anywhere, right? Yep, definitely. All right. Well, what, what, during that time, um, how was that transition going from you know, kind of a, a quick-paced um, – you know, startup to startup to startup um, to be in somewhere for for established a period for a long period of time. How was that transition for you? Well, I think as you get older too, you want you want some stability. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I I think that was part of it. But I also think that when you have bigger problems, they take longer to solve. So yeah. some of the other things that I was doing was building a product and getting the product out there. But now, some since starting at Vidler. Um, I, I look at more. I look at the web more as the problems that need to be solved. Yeah. Um, there are so many problems in technology, as there is in in medicine, and as there is in finance, and so on and so forth. And a lot of people that have longevity in these types of careers are the guys that look at problems that need to be solved that might take a long time. Yeah. Um, so I'm with Barley. We're not building a product now. With yeah. Vidler, we weren't building a product. Uh, we were building a solution to a problem that we think could be a solution to a problem. With Vidler, there was there was no real social media player, and we thought that we were solving that problem. And for for a good number of customers, they're still alive right now. They're still doing very very well. They're doing millions of dollars a year in business, um, and and so obviously we filled a need that was there. Uh, and how long that will last, I don't know. But there was definitely a need where it was really expensive to get video online. There was no way to interact with it. 
and we developed a solution to that problem. And it took it took probably four years to figure that one out. Um, and now they're iterating on that, but it took about four years to figure that out. You hear stories about how it took you know three and four years for for all the pieces to fall together for something like the iPhone. The same thing is true for so many other things. Um, and right now, what what I'm doing with my latest company is. Um, I think that the next move for publishing on the web is is going to be generally focused on inline editing, mm-hmm. which means that that content is actually being able to be produced in the area in which it, it will be published and seen by the by the average viewer. Yeah. And and we're trying to solve that problem now. And and I and I hope to work on this for ten years. You know. Well, that's great. Well, let's let's, let's talk about barley then. Um, so, when you started, you, you started barley with you, you. We talked. You mentioned a little bit earlier that you kind of you got to you had some friends and you and you decided to kind of quit your jobs and start and start um, this company playing. And um, so, why don't you just describe barley for people who might have not have heard of it before? Sure. Um, so barley started out um, as a CMS. Um, but we wanted to have an inline editor. So we wanted to have a way that there was no administration. So if you've ever used any kind of content management system, there's usually a place that you log in and you manage your content, whether that be different pages on a website or different uh, posts on a blog or images in a gallery. And, and then there's also this other part of that CMS, which is the part that everybody sees. So when someone visits your website, they see the visual uh, output of the data that you put into that system. And we thought, is there a possibility for us to not have that at all? To not have any content management system behind the scenes, um, but have everything be managed through the front end. And we were kind of fanatical about that. Um, We were asked many times, why didn't we just start building on top of WordPress? Or why didn't we start with um, another popular CMS that's out there? Because you know, they have a lot already built. Um, and we, we wanted to push away from the legacy, you know, even though WordPress is running 22% of the web at this point or 22% of the top million websites, I should very clearly state that, but, um, (laughs) is, is that, you know, there's legacy there. It's 10 years old. Um, so is there anything new to try? Uh, so that's why, that's kind of why we started with the CMS. So, so we really tried to – and obviously with fixed budget, you know, we're a startup. We, we raise some money and and we have a fixed budget of some sort. We can't do everything forever. If, if I could spend five years iterating on that idea, I probably would have. But we um, but we took about a year, a whole, almost a full calendar year before we released Barley for WordPress, which is a plug-in that allows you to do these kind of inline editing things. And and we solved some problems. Um, we solved inline editing for sure. Um, we are We are – tackling device, you know, being device agnostic and things at this point. But as far as building an interface that allows people to interact with their content, create blog posts, create image galleries, um, upload photos, uh, from their, from most popular services out there, or, you know, just changing the content on an entire site. Now realize this isn't just about blogging. Mm -hmm. This is about being able to have a full small business website using no administration. Um, and that's what Barley CMS is. So we, we tackled that problem. I'm very proud of what we did there. Um, if you're a designer like yourself, uh, not needing to know PHP or Ruby or anything to use a CMS is amazing. Yeah. Um, you just need to have HTML 
you sync it with Dropbox and it does everything else. Um, so, so we're very proud of what the, the, the problems that we solved with Barley CMS, but now what we've, what we've really figured out that we want a problem that we want to solve is not the CMS part. It's the editing part. Hmm. Um, there are many CMSs that are so well built for the problems that they're trying to solve, like e-commerce content management systems like Shopify Mm -hmm. or, uh, small business website builders like Squarespace uh, or or photo gallery creation tools like Exposure. These are things that should exist in the world. There shouldn't be one CMS at all. Yeah. However, we think that it, that that editing your content in line should happen on all of those platforms. So we're making Barley available to be able to build into any web app. Uh, eventually, hopefully, we'll get to the point where we have like a mobile SDK as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're also integrating our own plugins into the most popular CMSs that are out there. So we kind of teach people how to do it. Um, and we hope that we start to become a standard in inline editing. Hmm. So, um, so you've got, so you've got WordPress now, and then, um, and then you talked about trying to develop plugins for other CMSs and, and things yep. like that. Um, I'm, I'm curious, how, how do you, how is the decision-making process for like which platform to tackle next? How, how do you guys decide those kind of things? Well, I think it's obvious why we went after WordPress. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it, it is a humongous community. Uh, and, it, and it would, we knew that it would teach us a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, we've gotten more customer support over the last seven days than we've had in the whole first year, I think. Yeah. Um, and that's a good thing because that means that we can make our product better. You know, we've had people email us and say this, this or that didn't work. Can I have a refund <laughs> or something? You know, there's only a few, there's only a few people that did that out of the, you know, many that purchased it. But, um, but we actually said to them, we said, I don't care about giving you a refund, but please tell us what the problem was. Cause we want to fix it. I don't care about the refund. We want to fix the problem. We have a very long-term view of this. We want to make Barley very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and we think that by attacking WordPress first, that gives us the opportunity to have the most amount of problems, which sounds like a, you know, we're asking for a headache, but we are. Um, we want to solve as many problems as we possibly can. The next thing that we're going towards is Drupal. And uh, I can say why is because one of the guys on our team has experience with that. We also had experience with WordPress. Um, it's also being built into Exposure which is Kyle Bragger's uh, photo sharing tool. Um, They are doing all the integration for that. We're working with them behind the scenes as a guinea pig to, um, to hopefully build our documentation in the right way so that other people can do it. Um, And and there's some other conversations going on that I can't necessarily talk about at the moment yet, but we are hoping to bring this to every platform that allows you to edit content on the web. And, those that will respond to it, we've sent it to tons of them. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them have responded very, very favorably and are like, we will do anything to get this, and that's great. Others have said we have our own ideas where we want to go, and so that's the way it goes. So so the decision-making process is more about where can we improve the product the most, where where do we have experience because we're a small team of seven, yeah, and and the last thing would probably be the willingness of the community at which we're approaching. So some of them are open source, which means we can do whatever we want mm-hmm. because there's rules set up and standards and best practices. But we can we can live within those rules. And then with uh, with a with a with a closed platform that we might be dealing with is is really about their willingness to to help us do that. Okay, and um, 
uh, where did you come? Where did the name Barley come from? <laughs> so usually people, our company's name, by the way, is Plain. Uh huh. P L A I N. And uh, a lot of people ask us where that name kind of came from, and and Barley kind of derived from that. So okay. we we wanted something really really simple. Um, we think that a lot of complex problems that are out there can really be whittled down to the various the, the smallest thing. And if you look on our company page, there's there's a, a little tagline that we have there that people think is kind of cute, and, and it is, but we mean it. It says there that we have a passion for saying no. Mm-hmm. Barley CMS will never, ever, ever compete with WordPress feature for feature yeah, or or with any other CMS for that matter. What it does today, it'll probably continue to do for a long time. Um, Barley itself is going to try to do as much as it needs to and no more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we, we started to develop that idea for what can we do to solve a problem but nothing else, we tried to say how what's really simple, what's really kind of plain Jane, and we kind of came up with that idea of, you know mm-hmm. what, our idea is that if you're looking at a field, there is not much going on, but it does what it needs to do. And that's kind of what our company was kind of based on. And then we, we decided that any products that we released would be named after things that grow in a field. Okay. Which sounds kind of, you know, whatever. It's hey, any idea is a good idea, I think. So we we really like beer and stuff like that too. So we decided, you know what? Barley will be our first product. So we might have other products down the road. I I, th- I definitely think that we will. Um and, and they'll probably, you know, the names of the themes that we release on top of Barley CMS are trees. Mm-hmm. Um we have a sequoia theme, we have a red oak theme, we have a cypress theme. And so we're kind of just following that theme um partially for the fun of it. That's that that's that's pretty great. Um, I mean, having having some experience in branding, just just having just having something that that has imagery that you can build off of. I mean, it's 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 really fruitful for any any venture you might have down the line. It, it actually makes it a little easier. Yeah. In, in for us anyway. I mean, it it makes it harder in the sense that you have to come up with something that might fit. But if you asked us a year ago, if somebody said the word barley, you know, okay, that's whatever. You search if you search Google right now. For barley, you get one thing that's that really comes up. It's Wikipedia's entry for barley, and now it's and now it's us though. Yeah. And, and what's really interesting about that, which is kind of a side here though, but my our, my co-founder Kyle Ruain, who's also our our designer. So if you see anything that you like on any of the things that we do, it's his fault. But um, he was like, it's unbelievable that now we can use Google to search all of our own documentation because we're the only thing in the world called barley. Yeah. So when we when we do a Google search for our own documents on our own website, we're the first result every single time. And that's kind of cool. Yeah, that is cool. That is very cool. So um, another question I have uh, is, is um, the decision that you made on that you made on pricing, you have kind of a subscription model, even for your plugin. What was the thinking behind, behind that? We're big fans of making money. Um, And, and, and to be honest with you, there, there is, the if if you have the right motives um then having resources is really good right mm-hmm. so there are there are people out there that might want to just make money and cash out and flip something but myself Kyle and Jeff who are the three co-founders of this company all shook hands when we started this thing and said we could die working at plane mm. um and so we are trying to set ourselves up to be a business that lasts for a very long time um, I'm 34, uh, 33 right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would not mind being 63 working for the same team I have right now. Hmm. And so 
to do that though, we, we really, we don't, we can't just take a whole bunch of money or, or get a whole bunch of users and then flip the thing and then do it again and do it again and do it again. It, Cause that doesn't happen all that often. What we really need to do is build a sustainable business. Yeah. And so, um, we, we wanted to price ourselves premium, uh, in the sense that we will do whatever it takes to make your service work the best it possibly can. Mm-hmm. Uh, barley is $18 a month, um, which is unbelievably inexpensive. Really, yeah. When it comes to a business having a website online, everything is taken care of for you: hosting, backup, content management system, the site template. I mean, you can go to, you can go and you can download something like WordPress yourself for free. Which, if you know how to do it, is fine. You can go buy a Theme Forest theme for mm-hmm. fifty bucks, and then get hosting for ten dollars a month, and then do this and do that, and do this, or you can just buy barley for eighteen dollars. Um, and so that's kind of our, our thing where we're saying, listen, we're a little bit premium, but at the same time, we're going to provide a, a really good service. And as far as the licensing for our plugin goes, we do get this question quite often. The, the plugin will not discontinue to work if you don't have a license. So if you buy it for $12 and then immediately cancel your license, you'll only get that version of the plugin, but it will continue to work. Um, but for you to get automatic updates through the WordPress admin, and for you to get support from our team, uh, there is a community support form, so you'd still have access to that. But if you want our support guys to to help you fix your site or get something working right or you have a feature request or you want the latest update, then it costs money. And it's it's three cents a day. Yeah. Um, so we think that's not too high of a price to pay for for us to really be on the job for you all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, it's 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 actually kind of a a sad thing um, to to think that uh, people charging eighteen dollars a month or twelve dollars a month I think it is for the plugin um, the to to think that people feel like that's a lot of money like like that's a but that's kind of the world we live in now on the web uh, where everything is expected to be free or or you know a dollar or or but you know, you... It, it really depends on what community you're dealing with. Like hmm. when we when we built our CMS, um, there were some people that thought eighteen dollars was too much, yeah. um, and that's okay because almost everybody that said that were people that knew more than than what Barley would provide anyway. Yeah. So so maybe what they were trying to accomplish or the problem that they were trying to solve themselves, Barley wasn't the right fit for them. So that's okay. So if you know how to download WordPress and set up your own MySQL database and do all these other different things, then then don't use Barley for sure. Never never use Barley. Um, but if you're not, then eighteen dollars is a steal for you. Yeah. Uh, and the same thing goes with WordPress. We never got a kickback on the price. Nobody ever really said twelve dollars a year is too much because mm-hmm. um, that's how much it is. It's not twelve dollars a month. It's twelve dollars a year. Oh, a year. But, okay. Yeah. Uh, but. They did push us back on the spirit of that community, which resides very heavily on the GPL. Mm-hmm. And that, for those that don't know what that is, that that license in, in the way that you sell your um, code or give away your code is saying that people can modify what they buy and that it's kind of like the Red Hot model where somebody – if you get something, you can see the way it works and you can edit it and you can give it away to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And our plugin is GPL for that reason. To, to fit with that community. We wouldn't have gotten involved in that community if we um, didn't want to give you good service and you can pay for that, but at the same time still be in the spirit of that same community. If we didn't like the way that community worked, we wouldn't be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so, so do you have any, do you have any uh, 
so you're kind of you want to expand into other platforms now and um and uh and 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 see how many how many people you can can use uh, just broaden the base for people who can use barley um what is what are some other th- things that you have that you would like to see in the future you, you don't have to reveal plans or anything but you know just 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 the progress of what barley is and 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 um or or a, even some what your company does sure um really my you know our vision i would say for for where this could go with barley is not necessarily about users or mm-hmm. um anything like that it it's more about brand recognition um when someone sees barley uh no matter what they're using let's say that you know, a few years from now, you open up an, uh, an iOS application that lets you edit some information on a website somewhere. Maybe that's for an eBay auction yeah. or um, a Craigslist uh, uh, posting or something. If you see Barley there, uh, whether it's by logo or just you're familiar with the experience, we want you to have some kind of comfort level um, where where you expect it to be pretty good. And I think if we can pull that off, if we can pull it off where no matter where you end up seeing our our uh, editing experience, that you expect it to work well and that you get some kind of muscle memory. Because here's what happens right now is for years, people knew how to use Word. And no matter what we did as, as a community of web enthusiasts or technologists, we would always compare everything to Word. Yeah. We'd always say, oh, it's as easy as editing a Word document. Um, and, and people, everybody that came to the web was dealing with a word processor prior to that. So there was that, that natural curve where you said, okay, this is something that you knew how to use here. This is how it works over here now. And we want that same shift to happen with us where hmm. uh, you get so familiar with inline editing on these different platforms that you expect it to work like Barley does. Hmm. Whether we make the same decisions as somebody else might um, or not is, is going to remain to be seen. We're, we're hoping that we're making the right ones on how these things work, what keyboard shortcuts do what, um, what happens when you click here, what happens when uh, you have a new paragraph that has nothing in it, what happens if you embed a video, all these different things. Um, we think that if we really work with the customer a lot and try to standardize some of these things and we you know sweat the details, that eventually, um, no matter where you go, you will expect it to work a certain way. And that I think is when we will know we have done our job. That's great. That's a, that's a, that's a fantastic goal. Um, and I, I'm also curious, uh, do you have any kind of career goals beyond the specifics of, of, of any given product, the, the, just something you'd like to accomplish in your career? Huh? Um, it's really, I mean, it's really odd to say this. I'm not sure what that what the response of your other guests have been to this particular question, but mm-hmm. um, I've never had any queer goals. Hmm. Um, obviously, you know, I got married at a young age. I got married at 18 years old. And mm-hmm. so at some point I really had to put up or shut up. But um, meaning that you have to at least earn some money for your family in, in this world that we have. But beyond that, I never really cared. I've never cared about making a certain amount of money. Um, when I when I worked for a company that that would have Christmas bonus or whatever, I always gave it to other employees and never took it ever in my life. Um, so I've you know always wanted everybody else on the team to get more than me. Um, so as far as you know those kind of goals, I just never have had them. Um, but as far as like accomplishments, I think really what I would like to do, and this is more of a personal thing, is I would like to get good at what I do. Um, 
uh, it, it is very frustrating to always be learning. Um, but at the same time, I love it. So, you know, there's a comfort level that you should never really have where you think that you're so good at it that you don't need to learn anything. But there's also a niceness. Like I guess I can compare it to um, someone that works with a tool that just uses it in a way that that is so secondhand nature. You see, you see a guy that's been fly fishing his entire life, and and something that that you know the 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 average person couldn't just jump in a river and do fly fishing. They can't. But they but the guys that have done it forever aren't thinking about it anymore. Mm. And even though I've been doing this since I was 14 and now I'm 33, I still think a lot. Um, I still worry a lot. I'm very anxious about uh, product launches and things going well and marketing efforts and sponsorships and this and that. And I have a lot of worry. Um, And I think that it would be really cool if at some point I was able to get so good at what I do that I don't worry anymore. And I think, and I think that I don't know if it's achievable. I may never, I, you know, I may yeah. die worried that when am I going to die? I don't know. But, um, <laughs> but it, it, it's, there's a, there's a certain anxiety that comes along with that, that I think that if I ever got so good at what I do that I, I, I know all the pieces, I know how to put them all together. I know how to drive a team the right way. I'm still learning all those things. And I think I will for a long time, but I think it'd be really cool to, to, feel like you are an experienced fly fisherman but doing whatever it is that you like to do whether that be programming or designing i mean you see guys that really use photoshop every single day and the the, the keyboard shortcuts are just i mean they're not even thinking about it and they're doing things that i couldn't find the button for in 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 30 minutes um that's kind of how i want to feel about my about running a business and about launching software products that make a difference in the world and i think I, maybe i can do that i don't know I think that's a, I think that's a healthy that's a healthy um, goal to have. I mean, people's I think uh, I think people who have more specific goals in their career. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but you're always going to run into things that you couldn't expect and you can't and 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 that like you're just not in control of your own destiny often when it comes to specific types of uh, specifics in your career path. But you know, having a having a, a goals about the attitude that you want to build or the, or kind of the skills you want to gain. I think those are, those are, uh, those are worthy goals that anybody could have. Um, well, I think that's all the, that's all the questions I have for you. I do have, um, one thing that we like to do. I like to do at the end of, towards the end of the show where just something that maybe you or have discovered, it could be online, it could be a book or movie or an app or, food um you know that that you're just really into and, and you think other people will get a kick out of um if you need a minute to think about it i can i can go first uh yeah definitely go for oh i want i want to hear yours now that you said that you could go first i want to hear yours anyway go ahead <laughs> um well so there's this uh i don't know if you've used this square cash thing um i have not but i've seen it yeah so i've i've been um the I've I've had to send money in and receive money in a lot of different ways, um, like through and I've tried PayPal and I've tried all these other things and um, Squ- Square Cash I feel like is is a is is a really novel and um, fast and easy way to send money and I'm just I'm really into it so. Um, do you, uh, now, so do you find yourself doing that? Like I remember back in the day, I, I mean, I, I for for a few years I got paid on PayPal. 
mm-hmm. um, and you know for freelance jobs and different things yeah. like that. But do you find yourself needing that feature? Like, I guess I guess I don't have a lot of friends that are borrowing twenty bucks from me all the time. You know, like is, yeah, do you find yeah. yourself doing that a lot? Well, so so here's here's two things that I that I use it for. Um, uh, first of all. Um, we, uh, my wife and I are still actually on my father-in-law's family plan for cell phones because mm-hmm. paying for data plans on a, on a, on for iPhones is ridiculous. Um, if you, if you're, you know, outside, outside of a plan, uh, um, and, uh, we, so I have to, so I send our portion every month. Mm-hmm. And so that's one way that I've, that I've started using it. And another way that I've started using it is we have, um, two bank accounts. I have a bank account that, that I use to push any like business expenses into. And so I have to move money in and out of bank accounts fairly, um, fairly frequently. And I found that especially your, uh, Cayman Island accounts, I imagine. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. Like, uh, I have to, I have to move like 50 bucks over to another account to pay for website hosting or something. You know? <laughs> so, um, not, not, not not as big a wheeler and dealer as I'm making myself sound right here, but uh, <laughs> the, the, but the thing that I like about it is it's is it's fast, it's easy, and it, actually mostly it's fast. It's uh, you you don't set it up with routing numbers; you just set it up with a debit card um, number. And I don't know what Voodoo they're using to make that work, but yeah. it's um, it's it's deposited from from account to account within one or two days instead of the four or five that a regular bank transfer takes. Yeah, and so I think that's that's the thing that I really that I am really liking about it. And the I think if you depending on what if you're a freelancer, depending on what you get, um, how much your average billing is, I'm pretty sure that if you verify your identity with them through your Facebook account and the last four of your social. You can. There's not really a a um, limit that's too low for receiving payments through it. Right. So, anyway, well, that's that's pretty awesome. I, I could tell you one way to solve that problem. Um, <laughs> All right. As far as how they could be doing this, if you had, if you had, you know, let's say you had a billion dollars and you put, mm-hmm. you know, fifteen million in every major bank. Yeah. And then you could front all the movement of the money. Interesting. So somebody – if I send you 50 bucks, then Square takes the chance and says, OK, uh, we think that this is probably going to clear because the first authorization probably already happened. Uh, so instead of it happening – taking three days, we'll do it in 24 hours after it says it authorized because it didn't come back with an error yet. So we'll front the 50 bucks. Hmm. That's one way you could do it. Interesting. I wonder how <laughs> – I have I, no idea how they're doing it. You'll yeah, have to I, you know, email Jack Dorsey, but that that's – yeah, that 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 is interesting because I'm I'm I am really curious about it because every other transfer that I've had to do lately, you know, it takes a few days, you know, and then PayPal takes their cut, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean. So yep. it's a it's pretty cool. I'm I'm actually really curious about what it um, is doing for Square because synonymous with payments. That's all they care. Yeah, yeah. Synonymous with payments. Yeah, because I, I would I would think that that would be it because they they're not making any money off of fees for this particular feature, but you know they are, you know you know that they do payments and they have other ways that they make money off of their other payment services. Yep. Interesting. All right, so that was that was my pick for right now. Something that I'm I'm actually really enjoying. Yeah. So I have three. Okay. Um, Barley's the first one, so everybody go take a look at Barley. But yeah, definitely. Uh, 
One is if you if you have the the official Twitter application. Now I know a lot of us nerds, and I, I'm guessing that the people that listen to your podcast are probably geeks like ourselves. Mm-hmm. We use uh, probably another client. We use uh, you know Tweetbot or or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I recommend checking out Twitter's official application or the website for the Connect tab, hmm. uh, and also the Activity area under Discover. So there's two different little features inside of Twitter that a lot of people don't interact with. One of them is the Connect tab. We'll show you a few things. It'll show you when people favorite or retweet or follow or whatever on you, and it shows you like an activity thing. It's kind of like app.net's activity stream or interaction okay. stream or something. Um, and that's very valuable because in other applications, that is not available. They, Twitter does not give that to TweetBot and those other applications at all. And so you can't see when someone favorites your thing and all these different things. That's very important to interact with if, you, if you're doing any kind of work on Twitter. And I don't mean just sharing the fact that you're having bacon again today, but – that you know, if you're doing any kind of work on there, so that's very, very good to look at. The other thing is the the activity tab under Discover is is probably the best kept secret in in uh, Twitter. Is that you can see what other people that you follow are doing. Hmm. So if they follow someone, or they favorite, or they retweet, or they do this, or they do that, or they have a conversation with somebody, you can see that in there. So if I'm following Noah. And Noah favorites a really cool thing from NASA that I would never have seen otherwise. Hmm. Uh, I get to see it. So if you ever if you ever want to spend five minutes and just kind of get some information that you may never have gotten because your social graph, pardon the buzz term, but that your social graph never would have given you exposure to, mm-hmm. you can now be exposed to other things that you may not have been interested in until that particular day. Yeah. So that's really cool. So that's that's one thing. So the activity thing under Discover. The other thing is is um, and I'm sure that the people like again the people that listen to this probably know this about this. But um, if this then that. Oh yeah. Um. You know, automation is so important in our current state. Yeah. <laughs> um. There are so many tasks that all of us do every day. We all delete crap email every day. We all uh, receive notifications from a million different services every day. Um, we all wish it was less than that. Um, if you look at a blog post that I wrote recently, I don't know if you have links for your for your uh, thing, Noah, but you can link to a blog post where I decided to shut off all notifications on my phone uh, for everything but my wife sending me a text message. Interesting. And, and what ends up happening though – and I thought for sure that I would miss out on business opportunities. I thought for sure that somebody was going to murder me for not emailing them back within like an hour or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but lo and behold, I missed out on nothing. No opportunities <laughs> were lost. Um, uh, in fact, I probably respond better when I wait a day sometimes for emails, yeah. uh, those kind of things. But So long story short is that if this and that will allow you to start to control some of the madness and the mayhem that's out there. So yeah. you can set up alerts for certain things or you can say, hey, every time that I favorite a tweet, send it to Pinboard and I'll read it later or um, whenever I'm on Facebook and I do such and such, I want this to happen. So there's – you kind of have to go there to kind of figure it out yourself if you're someone that has completely no understanding of what it could do. But essentially what it's saying is that everything that you do every day, if this, then that can watch what you're doing all day. Mm-hmm. And based on what you do, it can do other things. It can – I mean it's it's fairly intricate. You can have it – you can have it 
open your garage door when you send an SMS to a certain thing. You can do – I mean there's so many things that you could have it do that only you will know what will be useful to you. But I have some recipes that I use that if I favorite something on Twitter or on app.net or on Facebook or over here, over there, or I bookmark something, it will automatically add it to Pinboard, which is where I keep my bookmarks. Mm-hmm. Something as simple as that saves me – I don't know. Maybe it's two seconds or something. But it's two seconds a thousand times a week. Yeah. Um, so, so I would just say, you know, as far as time saving goes, if this and that is uh, really indispensable. Yeah, yeah, and I think, I mean, even beyond time saving, it just it just feels good to 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 see little robots doing your your bidding for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, well, great. Uh, so, um, where can people uh, follow you and, and 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 learn more about you or get in contact with you? Um, I guess I would say start at our website. I think mm-hmm. that. Um, plainmade.com, so P-L-A-I-N-M-A-D-E.com. We tried to buy plain. We offered a ridiculous amount of money for plain.com. The guy won't sell it to us. Um, he is selling a book, so I recommend you go and check out his book if you ever go to plain.com. But, um, cause he will, he, he offered a free book to me, but I, I would, I could not buy his domain name. Um, and, and on there you can see kind of our company philosophy, some of the products we're working on. We have a nice little blog there. Um, the space that we run, we run a little co-working space that we let people work at and stuff. Um, and, and then on the company page, obviously there's, there's my contact information. So if you feel like, uh, although you now know me from the age of 14 to 33 on this little <laughs> podcast, you may not want to know any more about me whatsoever, but you can find me on there. Cool. Very cool. Well, thanks for coming on Colin. And, um, and hopefully, uh, we will, we will see you again soon with, uh, with barley even more successful. Yeah, I I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for uh, having me on your show. No problem. Thanks to Colin for joining us this week. Be sure to check out Plain's website at plainmade.com. That's P-L-A-I-N-M-A-D-E.com. If you need a website, be sure to look into Barley. You can read more about The Waystation or subscribe at waystation.co. Follow at underscore The Waystation on Twitter or at Waystation on app.net. Or like The Waystation Facebook page. If you like the show, be sure to leave a review in iTunes, which helps other people find out about it. To get in touch, go to waystation.co slash about. You can also check out my website, noahreed.net, or follow me on Twitter or app.net, at noahreed. That's N-O-A-H-R-E-A-D. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week for a new episode of The Waystation.